Good morning. Can you hear me better? It's working now? Yes. Well, I'm glad to be with you this morning. I was, uh, as, as Mark was praying this prayer, I said, that's the opening prayer for the text, I believe. And I hope that it applies on us in a way that we are asking the Lord, the merciful God, that his church being gathered in unity by his spirit may manifest his power among the peoples around us. And uh, um, I told Mark, uh, we were talking on the phone today, he said, uh, don't worry about this Spanish part. I was like, maybe God will give me a tongue to speak in Spanish with you. So I'm going to do something new today. And that is coming from long meditation, trying to um, improve in, uh, in our communication of the gospel with our people. So with conversation with Mark many times. So bear with me. Um, I think what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to give you the, um, the, the, the larger story, the large picture, before we get into the text that we are uh, going to look at this morning, this evening. And, uh, and I'm not going to probably read the whole text and preach on it, but I will preach as I read. And, uh, and I believe if we still have a little bit of time, I'll go to the application, which is the hardest part usually. Um, so turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 14. And our text today is from verses 8 to uh, 18. Acts 14, verses 8 to 18. As I said, let me begin by giving you the, the larger picture here. I believe Luke is, um, is writing the Acts, which many call it the Acts of the Apostles. But if you read carefully, Luke, he is indeed writing the acts of the risen Christ through the apostles. Because all of the book of Acts go around to show the power and fruit of the gospel in action. That the risen son of God, what he is doing in the world through his disciples, through his apostles. But it seemed that Luke had in, in, in vision, and he wrote to us through Theophilus, a noble man. So it's primarily written to Theophilus to tell Theophilus what the risen Christ is doing through the mission journey of, of Saul and, and Luke. And of course, the, the very first eight chapters without Saul of Tarsus until the murder of Stephen who gave the full version of the gospel from uh, the Old Testament and showing the fulfillment of God's plan in the risen Christ. And Saul of Tarsus was present at the, at the murder. But it seems that Luke is so much interested in showing two main things there. Number one, he's interested in showing the fulfillment of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses, you will, you will bear that testimony throughout from Jerusalem to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
So on one hand, Luke is interested in showing that geographical map quest, how the gospel is being moved between Turkey, Asia Minor, today Turkey, all the way Cyprus, Europe, landing finally in Rome that governed that whole world back then. How God is moving his message through a zealous soul of Tarsus that he encountered Christ at his conversion. And I will touch on that in my overview. But then the second point that Luke is interested in Acts is to show that, yes, there's, there's a powerful message. There's an extension of the kingdom of God. There is victory even over Rome at the end. But no gain without pain. No cross. No crown. And it seems it's, it, it's reflected in, in, in chapter 14 at the, at the last portion where, where Saul returned to the disciples and, and told them, it is through many sufferings we enter the kingdom of God. If you try to avoid the idea of the cross, that this is only something happened 2,000 years ago. Yes, indeed, it did happen 2,000 years ago at its fullness. God is bringing his plan of redemption to completion on the cross. You don't have to bear the same pain that Jesus did. You don't have to pay for your own sins. But since you are so much united to Christ, you are being reminded on and on. And here's in the book of Acts. The world will hate you because the world hated your Lord. And Jesus said, if you were of this world, the world will love you as its own. But the world cannot love you. The world cannot accept you because what you bring to the world, you're being those surgeons, instruments, in the hand of the one who does the big surgery to bring healing. And it comes with pain. It comes with rejection. It comes with persecution. And that's where you see the whole book of Acts. Now the second thing I wanted to share with you, and I said I will mention it, is the everything that Paul did in his mission journey in Acts, in, his, in the way he did ministry, in his writings, letters, it seemed to have come out of his main experience on the day he got converted in Acts 9. Everything that Paul writes later on, or does, or the way he thinks of doing church and ministry and living in the Christian faith, seemed to come out of his conversion story. I'll give you a few examples here. You know that the only one who mentioned that the church is the body of Christ is Paul. No one else speaks about the church in body metaphor. The hand, the ear, and all this language to, to help us understand how we are members of one another and of Jesus Christ. Where did he get this idea that the church is Christ's second self? It's the body of Jesus Christ. It's on his way to Damascus. Because it is then that Saul heard from Jesus Christ the words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I mean, you stop there and you think about it. Me? You're supposed to be dead. I'm simply persecuting your followers. 
He got it that Christ so associated himself with the church that whatever you're doing to these people, you're doing it to me. But there are many other things that came out of this experience that will be a full sermon. I'm not going to cover it. But I'll give you another example that fits well into our text. Maybe there is a high possibility that Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee who learned on the feet of Gamaliel, while he is doing something for the zeal of the God of Israel, being zealous about it, the best way the, the Jews back then would learn something called the Ma'ase uh, Merkava in Hebrew, meaning the meditation on the throne chariot of Ezekiel chapter 1. And I've heard many people saying this. I've heard people disagreeing. There's a possibility. There's not. But let's think it happened. And all what you read in Ezekiel chapter 1 was this meditation on the, on the chariots and the cherubim and all the figures. And if, if possible, it ta- the text takes us to maybe we can see the one sitting on the chariot. There is a high possibility that Saul of Tarsus was meditating so much on this with the, with the eyes of his mind, but then suddenly he sees with the eyes, with his physical eyes, what he was trying to see where he got shocked. He understood well that this is the God of Israel. He got it so right, but he also got it so wrong that he did not know what this God of Israel is, is about business now. What is he doing? And to his surprise, he looked up where he became blind, but he saw that biggest light ever appearing to him. And he saw the face that he was hoping to see. And that face was the face of Jesus Christ. He, he got it experientially that to gain the right way is to suffer the right way. He also heard it later on that Christ told Ananias that this is a chosen instrument for me and I will show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. And that's all Paul's journey is written by being stoned here, being rejected there. And there you come to the text. You look at chapter 13, right before this happened, Saul was reason- Paul was reasoning with the Jews about the Davidic line that God is about to fulfill. He is fulfilling. He had fulfilled already. He's trying to reason with them. And they rejected him and showed animosity towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and, and actually, there's something interesting in chapter 23. If you look it up, and I guess it's on on, in verse 46. It was necessary the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us saying, I made you, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Before you go there in, in verse 45, you see that when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And the word there in, in Greek is Zealous, filled with zeal. There's something you need to understand there in order to 
get later on in chapter 14. Why did the Jews come after Paul and try to stone him after the whole event took place of our text this evening? That zeal was understood from Elijah, for example. He was zealous. And it structured itself culturally and among the people of God that they were so zealous in, in the idea that the ancient, the, the, the ancient revelation of God, the temple, and all that comes with it needs to be protected. And if anything come to violate it, we will be zealous like Elijah who killed 450 prophets of Baal. And that zeal is associated often with a sword. Whether you will be drawn and brought to the temple for, for, for justice, or you will be slashed and beaten in the synagogue, or you will be stoned like Stephen. Saul know this by experience because he was that, actually that Pharisee who was so zealous, and he went after the Christians in Damascus, those followers of Jesus, because the, the threat on his faith and, and his, his ancient history and, 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 and covenants that God made with Abraham and his children are being threatened by few followers of Jesus Christ. But, but there's something also here, actually, that if you look at Habakkuk chapter 1 and, and verse 5, it shows us some sort of its fulfillment there. That to make the Jews jealous and take the gospel to the Gentiles. But it wasn't written this way. Saul got it this way. Because he looked at it after his conversion. After recognizing that the God of Israel is Jesus Christ. But it was written that God will, will rise up the Gentiles to be like a threat and take over Israel. So, so much they looked at it probably that the Gentiles one day will come with a sword and destroy us. But they didn't see that this was part of the plan. That God will bring Jews and Gentiles to the same new family. And if you don't understand and be zealous of these covenants that God made with you. The temple and everything that you understood. And if you don't see how God is moving and move with him. You will miss the poem. And the gospel will go to the Gentiles. They will outnumber you. And that's what happened. I'm giving you a short brief of history there. But now as we turn to chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas said, let's go to the Gentiles. These people are no longer listening to us. So look with me at the text now in chapter 14. Which actually, verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet he was crippled from, his, from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Let me stop here before I go to what happened. This is the controlling story of chapter 14 of our text. Everything happened after this was because of that was exactly because God did something through Paul by bringing healing to this crippled man. 
He was persecuted by the Jews. Shouldn't you Gentiles accept this power of the gospel that it brought healing to one of you? Well, yes. But they, they got it even the wrong way. We see later on that they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. They made them gods. And we'll come to this. But something happened there you could not avoid. It may well be applied to us today how we respond to things in a pagan way. Even in the evangelical world. That we do not have images to worship and stuff. I can give you some examples. One example is enough. Think about the medicine today. Think about two, three generations ago, diseases were taking place and the medical industry was trying its best and true, genuine physicians were doing their best to find cure, healing for certain disease, that they're still working on it with the cancer increase today. But some other things we know from the past that they could not find a cure. But then suddenly they could find some. Think about it between yourself. How much you would look at this doctor to be the source of your help. You might divinize the doctor. And we did that. We were so grateful that they found some cure medicine for our diseases. But then we want them to do everything else and they cannot. We demonize them. We hate them. We reject them. So our reaction to, to what the medicine did and, and, and the medical industry did and those physicians, oh, you found some cure. You became like a god, the source of my help. And I'm expecting even more from you to find to cure all sorts of diseases. And if you cannot, I'm going to hate you and reject you. Do you see that? Do you see that it happened? And it happens. It happens with me sometimes. It happens with me when I ask a doctor to cure me from something. And then I find myself like, want to call him more often. Seems like he has all solutions. And then when he doesn't respond, I get upset. I was like, wait a minute. You're making him an idol. You're looking something about God in this human being, in this man. But something happened there, I think it was misunderstood. That there was a reason why God, through Paul, brought healing to this crippled man. Maybe it is, as some commentators said, associated with the message that Paul is speaking, and of course Luke did not give us details, he's just giving us summary here and there. Paul is speaking about the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and then suddenly he looked at the man, driven by the Holy Spirit, who told Paul, gave him that insight that this man had faith. There's nothing in him. He wasn't wearing collar or something that we think. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's, he has faith. He's just a pagan. But there was sensitivity between Paul and God that God revealed to him, this man had faith and he's been waiting to be healed. And Paul looked at him and said, rise up. It's like the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead and I'm going to show you a glimpse of this by healing not all of you, just one of you. To give you a glimpse of, of what God is doing in the world. What is the kingdom of God? And he did it. And the man walked. Something happened there that is unusual in the pagan world. 
How did they respond? They did not respond like the Jews. We're going to stone you and we're going to kick you out. There's something happening in our city, in, 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 uh, in Turkey, which is actually where the city is located. Now, let's turn back to the text. Verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in their own language, Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, in some ancient text, Jupiter, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Well, before I go to verse 14 and until 18 and see how it, the story ended there and how Paul and Barnabas reacted. There's something there you need to understand. As it was always with the true revelation that God gave to his people, there was some sort of a copy-paste version, fake version among the Gentiles and the pagan world. In everything, in creation, in every, every story. But it's not so clear. So as the people of Israel were expecting Jehovah himself to come in the likeness of man, echoing Daniel 7 perhaps, like the son of man, so were the pagan world in their ancient text. One day, the gods themselves, Zeus and Hermes, will come down in the likeness of man. There's something unique there. There's something somehow common, but it's so frustrated. It's, there's no there's some elements of truth in the pagan world, but it's not so clear because they are missing something. Seeing the man crippled at birth from birth is healed now. How would you do if you have this if something like this happened in your midst? Well, even if, if it's not a miraculous event, if just a physician would come and cure somebody from cancer that is incurable in your church, in your family, how would you respond? You celebrate. So the response was, the fulfillment of the God's prophecies came to be clear before our eyes because they're always worshipping dead heroes. Now it's alive. Could it be possible in Turkey, in that little Asia Minor geographical location, where the temple of Zeus is outside the gate, could it be possible that the promises of the gods have come in our midst with Paul and Barnabas? Barnabas being Zeus as he looked older than Paul, and Paul is Hermes as, if you look at the story, he's the spokesman. In fact, he's also... That God used to be the one who may deceive. Like do something like uh, magic. And so he did the miracle. They thought this is Hermes. And he's a spokesman. And so what did they do? The priests went, the priests of Zeus, that's a golden opportunity where we will make a lot of money by taking this event and offering sacrifices by worshiping these two gods. The city will gain a great reputation. The city, the world will know that the gods that they were expecting, even in Rome, what they call Jupiter, same, Zeus, is here now. What would you do if you happen to be in this position? 
if you're in Paul's place, they're literally offering sacrifices. They're worshipping them. And look at verse 14 to 18, and here's our final version of the text. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, and here Barnabas is mentioned as one of the apostles. Now pay attention that, you know, Barnabas is not one of the apostles. But he is what the ancient reformers like Calvin and others, he is what we call the evangelist. Now the word evangelist can mean the one who does evangelism. But in Ephesians chapter 4, it happened to fall onto a different category. That God, Christ himself gave gifts to the church. Prophets, apostles, evangelists, and teacher, preacher, pastors, shepherd, teaching shepherd, teaching elders, ruling elders. But before the, that last one, there were three which were the foundation. The apostles, who would be the ones who witnessed everything Christ did, the prophets who would be the ones who did the foretelling and foretelling. And this is some sort of a gathering between the Old and New Testament by which our faith is built upon. And Christ the cornerstone. And where's the evangelist? The evangelist was, was that at that time assistant apostle. He is an apostle, but he's not in office an apostle. He is like Luke the evangelist who would write the gospel. You don't have that kind of evangelist today I'm being sent to Lebanon to do evangelism. I am an evangelist by definition, but I'm not that kind of evangelist because I cannot write a book and call it New Testament. Make sense? Barnabas was one of these evangelists, and it's rightly that he can be called apostle because he's assistant apostle. He's extending his work from Paul, the apostle who is with him. And so Paul and Barnabas, the apostles Paul and Barnabas heard of it. They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, and I will, I will comment on this lastly, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. These people were so much gathered to celebrate an event that you really need to understand the pagan world in order to understand what was going on there. In general term, paganism by definition. A pagan is someone who would divinize a creation when he sees good things in creation. This is somehow like Romans 1. It's worshipping creation over against the creator. It's seeing good things in creation that God himself would give food, rain, Stuff that would cover common grace on the evil people and the good people. These are good stuff. Even sometimes healing given to people from faith and outside of faith. Those are good stuff. Um, you can say the iPhone is a good stuff today. Because this is something we, we really, uh, it facilitates our life to, to connect together. If a husband and a wife are far and distant, they can communicate, they can use internet. But you know that all of us would make this an idol. 
including me, or starting by myself. And that's something I often confess with Mark when we sit together and talk about our sins even, to confess it to one another. Think about the good stuff in the world. You, you, you might think that paganism is just these people who would worship the idols that they made in the ancient artistic world, and we do not have it. Actually, you might. And that's precisely why John said, stay away from idols. And he's speaking to Christians who know the second commandment, do not make any idol, any image. So while you think the outside world that is evidently worshipping creation, literally worshipping creation, you would think it does not happen. I want to give you one story that happened with me a long time ago. There was a, uh, there was a Catholic bishop who, who, who was always my best friend. And even when he died, I visited him. He was barely speaking. There was a lady that was able actually to interpret what he wants to say, and he asked me to stay there. He said, I love you, pray for me, while all his priests were outside waiting, and he did not allow them to come in. That kind of relationship we had. He was my best, somehow best friend, one of the best friends. And I to him was the same, and he's very much older than me. Um, In this relationship, we were really easy to open sometimes about conversations. How paganism entered our Christian church? How did we paganize the faith? How did we look at the dead people and divinize them the same way pagan world did? That's 2,000 years ago. Sometimes he would disagree, but most of the time he would agree. I'll give you an example. He said one time, what would you think of this saint on the mountain in Lebanon? He's called Saint Cherubil. Everybody worship him today. And I said, well, let's, let's stand back and take a look. What do you think of Baal? Which Christianity was not there. Of the pagan religion in Lebanon. Phoenicians. Didn't they worship in the same mountain a guy? Back then something. There are a lot of similar stories there. He was like, huh. Never thought about it. I said, but it happened. You baptized it. You made it Christian because... You've learned that probably this is part of our Christian faith. But you're telling me that this mortal who died can do a lot of things while the Apostle Paul cannot do anymore. We had a lot of conversation together back then, which was very open, very friendly. But then there was some sort of admission. I think we've gone far from scriptures. I think we've gone far from... In the Western world, post-Reformation, where reason came back, you might say, well, we're done away with Catholicism. We don't practice the same. Yeah, look, do we have any statue here? We don't. Do we worship any saint? We don't. But let me tell you something. That, that was really evidenced in the practice because it was commonly practiced. Now we have a different practice. This may be your saint. What you're accusing, probably your Catholic friend or church, you are practicing yourself with a modern way. Is it hard what I'm saying? Do you find yourself sometimes so much wanting something that was good? Creation, even children, anything. More than desiring the God who gave them to you. 
mean, you, you, you better step back and, and think about it. Do I find my source of life in this thing that I was given, which is very good, more than the living God? Or do I see myself back connected to the one who gave me everything good? And that's precisely why Paul went to the doctrine of God in creation. And he said, wait a minute. And, you know, tearing the garment was an ancient kind of expressing extreme sadness. What are you doing? We're flesh like you. We're human. Now is the time to turn from this. I've been talking to you about Christ, about what God did, and now you're still twisting this and looking at, at, at the goodness that God gave you through us. Turn from your practices to the living God who made the heavens and the earth, including you. He goes to God, the Creator. To show them that you've been worshipping creation and you don't see that there is only one behind everything that you have been receiving. He goes to show them that all that is good in your sight is written in Genesis 1 where God said it is very good. But you're missing the character behind every good thing that you have been seeing. And yes, I understand it's part of the fall and that's the reason why redemption had come. I'm just paraphrasing. I'm putting words. But I, I, I so much believe that that's what happened. Because at the end, he said something very interesting in verse 16. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to work on their own ways. This is where you might be troubled and thinking. What does that mean? What does that mean? In past generations, so God was so much indifferent to, the, to his human being who cre he created and just concerned about Israel? Well, you might come to such a conclusion if you misread the Bible the right way. If you don't let the Bible speak for itself. What has been said here is that the secret that God wanted to do from Genesis 3.15, now it is the time before it was all the preparatory for that main event where God at the very moment where the ultimate and climax story of Israel in Jesus Christ who would fulfill everything written would take that curtain and open it and unleash all the wisdom of God for the Gentiles. That is the mystery that Paul speaks about. It's not about excluding Gentiles. It's not about choosing Israel as something good in Israel. Israel as a nation was the worst. But it was because God wanted to bring in the fulfillment of his plan that through the seed of the woman will come he who will crush Satan and all the corruption that is in this world that God made very good. And begin to restore back his creation. Begin to bring back the prostitute he loved. To restore her back by love. As his wife. Humanity. And through one single man. Jesus Christ. As in and through one single man. We were divorced from God. Namely in Adam. 
And so in Christ, there's a mystery there that God is saying, Jews and Gentiles will come together into this new humanity, into this new family, the church. And that's why in chapter 15, there's a council. How do we deal with these Gentiles coming to faith? And then 16 through 20, Paul goes back in his journey to speak to the Gentile world. There's a crisis there that you need to struggle with. How do I love my neighbor? Yet, it's very costly. But the, the message Paul is giving to the pagan world is different than the message he gave to Israel. They don't know much about the God, the Davidic line. So he began by something similar to Luke 17. But he did tell them, That even your poets, even your people, even you yourselves know in your DNA that you are his offspring. That the God I am declaring to you does not live in these small little statues. But he is the maker of heavens and earth. And he is all what you got. And he is the reason for why you exist. And he's not distant from any one of you if you desire him faithfully. Why? Because there was a cost, not made only for the Jews, but through the Jews for the world. And the cost was the cross. It is through the cross that God's code cannot be broken. There's only one way to bring you back. is when God's blood is shed on the altar of justice. Is when the world shows its animosity towards God. By killing the son. It is when the father shows his justice. By killing his son. But shows his love. By giving his son. For the world. And that's the only place. In that battle zone. Of war. That biggest war. Between man and God. Where we can be reconciled back. And be in union with God. Only through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. And therefore. If you want to live as Christians. You have to understand that the cross is not just a symbol. But it's the mark of your life. No cross, no crown. In the world you will have tribulations. When you love someone, you will sacrifice a lot. You will pay a lot of the cost if you love them right. And Paul did love these Gentiles the right way. He was so compassion. Rise up, man. I want you to be healed in the name of Jesus. But he's so much zealous that he did not allow them to make him a God. He looked at them and he said, I am doing this for the one I'm proclaiming. Practically speaking, with the one last minute I want to conclude with, how do we really take this, even in suffering, and take the kingdom of God outside this box we are in? It's a good, it's not box, but I'm calling it box because we think of it this way. We come to church, we are just together worshiping God, we go home, that's it. And that's something I I made a resolution. And I, I, I would love for you to hold me accountable while I'm doing ministry in Lebanon. And here here's the here's the here's the resolution. And I think you would agree with me. Let's do everything we do from now on. Not for our own sake. You see the cross? Crucify your rights. Let's begin to do even good things in the name of Jesus. Let's give a cup of water 
to somebody who is thirsty and tell them, don't be, don't think this is really ridiculous or some sort of, uh, I'm, I'm saying something that would not work in our days. Actually, it works. If you take the cup and say, I'm doing it because of Jesus. If you take $100 and give to somebody who is in need. I was planning, even, even if I want to help a family to have some heat in the winter. Uh, if I give them one, two hundred, three hundred dollars, I want to say from Jesus Christ to you. You see what I'm trying to say? Bring healing, physical healing. Don't, be, don't become charismatic. Just do these little things. And that's my resolution. In the name of Jesus Christ. Tell the people this is from Jesus who loves the world. But also preach the gospel. But do the good thing in the name of Jesus at the same time. Greet someone in the name. Try to cruciform your life to do everything you do. Every good thing you do. In the name of the risen Jesus Christ. By which the book of Acts actually is all about. The acts of the risen Christ through the apostles. And now may it be through you. Let us pray. Father in heaven we thank you. For the power of the gospel that Paul preached and said. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it is the power of God. For salvation. Make us like Paul not ashamed, but boast even while we are facing hardship, persecution, rejection. Let, it, let us do it, Lord, in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Let us be that flood that goes out of the book of Acts and, and, and continue and live even as our world is turning so much pagan these days. Maybe we don't feel it in America. I know it in Lebanon, in Europe, but it is coming to America. Lord, grant us to, to, to see and understand that your work, your plan, your redemptive plan is not just for Sunday morning. Is not just when we open the Bible. Is not just when we pray. But all these good things we do, we gather, we worship you, we pray, we read your word, are meant for this life to show itself. We are Jesus' second self. So may we be throughout the whole week the voice, the act, the hand, the feet of Jesus Christ and may the world and the people around us know even if they laugh at us mock us oh it's a privilege we forgot this let it be Lord that we're doing this for the name that is above all name through whom you have been recreated heaven and earth and you have promised us that ultimate victory and crown but you said the cross must come first must come first Give us such a blessing to understand this and to live by it. For one another and for the sake of the world you love around us. And you made very good. In Jesus' name. Amen.